We can definitely. I think. I think we've concluded that we have to have a um, definitely a, a get together, yeah, either, either in person or or online, and get a couple of folks together and talk about our goofy stories. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you, you gotta embrace the, that humility because anybody who says like they only did great things or they never did anything wrong is just either somebody like I always say you know that's somebody who's lying. If uh, like I say if if you got a medic who's who's confident in their skills and doesn't think they can make a mistake and thinks everything they do is right. That's somebody who's dangerous. You should always be cautious, especially dealing with medicine. And, I, but isn't that, I think I've run into people that have worked in all aspects of the military and all the different components. And the, and the one thing I, the one thing I would mention is the people that seem to do really well in their respective fields are typically the most humble. And mm -hmm. I don't know if because they believe in the fail forward or if they're just, you know, I don't know if they came from some of their, their background and upbringing, but, and there's that, there's a really long discussion. And if you've never failed in your life, do you count yourself successful or is it the people that have failed and then overcome that, right? That failure to become successful. There's a whole big, you know, discussion with there, but the people I've run into that are really good are super humble. Mm -hmm. Like they're well. very humble and you, you sort of are taken aback um, by like, you're, you're taken aback by the fact that these people know their stuff, like at a high level, a super high level. But when they talk to you, they're just like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. You know? And you're like, wait a minute, you just did this really cool stuff. Like, mm -hmm. well, shouldn't you, you know, you're a lot of little cockiness and arrogance, right? Like you've proven yourself time and time and time and time, yeah. you know, and they're like, no, man, you know, like I, I can continue to be better and I can continue to learn. And like, I want to pass this, you know, to other, this knowledge to other people. Those are the people I've seen that like to me and my personal mind are the most successful and in life, I would say in general, yeah, but also yeah. in their field, their respective field. Yeah. The, the, uh, commander I had M10 from the A10 squadron, he's telling me, he goes, you got to have three things. You got to be arrogant enough so people are confident you know what you're doing. You got to be humble enough to know when to ask for help. And you got to have the humility to know that what you don't know, you don't know. There you go. Yeah, the, I, the pretending I, part is the part that can get a lot of people into trouble. You just can't. It's just, it's it's a, a short-term patch for long-term failure. And it's okay to fail. You're not a failure. You, you got to have growth through friction. You got to put yourself in tough situations. You got to put yourself outside your comfort zone because that's where you're going to get better and, and you're going to stumble and you're going to fail and it's okay. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I continue that daily <laughs> from yeah. a personal and a professional standpoint, literally mm -hmm. daily. Um, okay. So, so you did, I mean, that is a really cool spot, really cool spot. Um, I, I don't know, actually can't think of anybody that I know that's done that before outside of you that's been in that position and filled that. So, so what was your next move after that? Next move I got, uh, picked up for a, uh, specialized assignment, a unique mission set. And I, uh, you know, did that for about another 10 years. Oh, wow. So and was there additional schooling that you had to do to, to do that? There was, there was quite a bit. It was, uh, it was a lot of, a lot of training and, uh, it was a predominantly an army unit. And they love to train mm. and I loved it too. So Army training, sir. Right. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> it was a great time. So from there, even I went to uh, critical care for, I got my critical care paramedic certification. Wow. And then I got my flight paramedic certification and uh, they send you to uh, airborne and um, you know, multitude of training. Cause the mm. army's a lot of, a, a lot of what they have is organic where the air force tends to send you to outside trainings, which like critical care and flight paramedic were outside training. So they're great. They're civilian certifications that apply within the air force. Right. But a lot of them such as like airborne is a formalized course, but it's the army runs it. And, uh, so going there, it was, uh, I pretty much stuck out like an air force dude. It's, <laughs> it's funny. My, uh, so my, uh, my deal, my unit came out 
he just happened to be there TDY and he goes in and you're in what they call the shoot shed where there's about 400 of you waiting to jump and get your qualifying jumps. And he goes, Hey, uh, looking for a mass sergeant timing, looking for mass sergeant Weiss and the black hats who are the instructors there. And they're like, I don't know who you're talking about. He's like, Oh, you know, big white guy bald. They're like, no, I don't know who you're talking about. (laughs) And then they go, he goes, well, he's an air force guy. They go, Oh yeah, he's right over there. And there I am just miserable because put, they put you in this, uh, you're, you sit in the shoot shed and you're supposed to get like two, I think it's like two jumps a day. So you have to do so many jumps before you graduate airborne. But they do, uh, so you go there in the morning, it's like 4.30 in the morning, you arrive. You're allowed to use the restroom and eat. And then they you put on your chute and they, they JMPI, so they inspect everything. And then you can't touch anything on you. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't oh, do wow. anything. Can't eat, can't drink. So if your first jump is at 1500, like you just have to sit there Oh man, and it's, it's miserable. And I remember saying like, I would go through all the seer and survival training I've ever gone through again to avoid this one day because <laughs> you just sit and you, of course you're not supposed to touch anything because you can theoretically, like if you touch something, you can change yeah. the, the mounting and the safety. So every time you touch something or you, or you take it off or whatever, they have to reinspect you. And there's only, you know, there's a handful of black hats, maybe seven or eight, and there's like 400 people. So oh. they, they get a lot of reps going through, but they, they at least started letting people go to the bathroom and everything like that. They're just going to be doing inspections all day and they yeah. have other things to do as right. well. So I, I understand it, but you didn't want to get seen. The, the word was, is that if you were seen or perceived to be messing with your equipment, they could pull you out of training. Oh no. And at my unit, it's, you had to be airborne to be at the unit. So right. I was like, I don't want to get fired. You know? so, <laughs> so I didn't touch you. I just, you know, eyes forward, just stayed, you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't move. You, you know me with my baby bladder, bro, nervous bladder. I, there's no way well, I'd have it. to have like a catheter or something in like a bag, you know, the, the yeah. piddle, was it not piddle, piddle bag? Piddle packs. Piddle packs. I don't yeah. <laughs> like, Hey, strap it in with that, bro. Like I'm willing to just fly and it'll bust when I, like, yeah. I have to have that, man. I can't just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. We actually, yeah, we brought up uh, piddle packs when we went to Arctic survival. Uh, cool Did school. you really? Well, yeah, he's so cold. And so I was like, well, where do you, you know, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of like real stuff, not training. I'm thinking like, where do you pee when it's 30 below or yeah. whatever the temperature is. And, uh, somebody brought up some piddle packs and I was like, oh, perfect. Cause you can sit in your little shelter and use one oh, of those. Yeah. So yeah. And fill it up and then do things with it. But <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you said you did that 10 years. Is that right? Yeah, I did it 10 years and, uh, moved around, had a, you know, some multiple deployments, a lot of great opportunities, but going back to your thing, I was saying where people do stuff, there's people there who did like truly amazing things, absolutely amazing things. And I got the honor of, of working with a lot of them or just being associated with them just by being, you know, in this large group that people under there have done some great things, but the, the humility and the humbleness he spoke of. So we had a fairly small team. It was about, you know, eight of us. And anytime in that team, you may be good at one thing, but you're not good at everything. So it just constantly keeps you humble. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody may, somebody may run faster than you. Somebody's going to shoot faster or better than you. Somebody's going to, uh, you know, have better medical skills. Somebody's going to have, you know, a better way of doing something. So you're constantly being smacked down in a way right. where you're like, oh, I felt like I did really good. And somebody just crushes you, but <laughs> you do some, you do another thing that's really good and you may be doing it. You may excel in that, but there's another six other things that different people have done well. So you're constantly striving to round yourself out to raise the entire watermark. So that way you're just not great in one thing and suck in everything else. You're trying to be good in everything, but there's always people better than you. And it just keeps you humble and, you know, very very strong humility of just, you know, uh, being together with a relying on your team because it's such a small, everybody's got a job to do. And there's one person who does that job. So everybody has to kind of, know and learn a little bit about out of everybody's job because if one person goes down somebody right. has to take that over right but at the same time you just go like surface level because you, you get into learning more about what each position does and you're like this is years and yep. years and years of expertise and you're like i got an idea how about just we try not to let anything happen to anybody <laughs> <laughs> and that's, uh that's what you're there for right but yeah it was just it was constant uh yeah constantly learning and just uh trying to be better yeah yeah i think it's 
So like we talked a little bit before this, I think one of the, the cool, important things is, you know, a lot of folks, uh, in fact, I just talked to a guy I worked with and his son chose, even though, cause I think he was, his wife was in the air force and I think they had some other folks and he's like, no, I want to do something cool. Like, like I'm going to be a Marine and like, cool. That's awesome. But ironically enough, he's going to be an air traffic control teller or control, mm-hmm. which by the way, huge attrition rate, a lot of stuff, a lot of stress. So cool enough for stressful, but it's, it's interesting because people don't necessarily know. And that's why, you know, one of those things I wanted to talk to you about, right. And bring this out, but you can do some really cool stuff as a medic. Like, I mean, stuff that you, you like with the training, what, what I'm getting to is like, I wouldn't say like a mini surgeon, but you get the opportunity to be so close to being a doctor without having that, um, experience of going through the, the, the schooling, the med school, um, if you will, the what, 12 years or however long they go to school as, as far as a doctor goes, but also you are your patients. You're like, are also like your team members, your friends, your, your, your family. And that's, that's something so different is like you, so it's, it's like a different mentality. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's the one offs I'm working in an ER and somebody comes in with a car wreck and, oh, that's my cousin or something. Right. But mm-hmm. like when you're with the folks that you're actually keeping safe and healthy is like a completely different eye opening world. Or, I mean, technically too on base, right. It's, you, you know, right. Traveling around the world becomes a very small community when you're like, does. oh, I was at this base too. Oh yeah. Or you see somebody come in and you're like, oh man, I haven't seen you in forever. Or yeah. like, where, how did you get here? I knew you two bases ago or whatever. Right. It's just, yeah. It becomes this very small, small community. And so that's a huge difference. And like, you've already brought out a, a quite a few differences with just getting that, you know, one-on-one experience with these experts going through some schools and training that you wouldn't get in the civilian world, like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, geez, I mean, I can't say that. I don't believe in absolute statements, maybe not at all, but there's very few and far between these circumstances, but like, and now like your breadth of knowledge, knowledge and experience is gigantic comparatively speaking to someone that may have gone the traditional route in the medical school or even a PA or something, right? Like it's, you have all these different insights, all mm. these different experiences, and you're not even sometimes, right. It's not in a hospital room, right. It's yeah. in posterior locations, which brings a whole different kind of set of variables yeah. to it. Right. It you're, you know, Oh, okay. Go ahead and clean this and scrub and I'm going to scrub it. And you know, you know, like again, put the dirt in it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. rub dirt in it, bro. Throw a tourniquet. We're out of here. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, one of those situations. So, okay. So mm. you did that. So again, Air Force medics, some can be bad A's, right? Like I have one sitting across from me. So um, <laughs> so 10 years you did that. And then what did you transition to after that? So after that, I ended up promoting. I picked up uh, E8 and they. Uh, I was at Hurlburt Field doing some of my recurrent training and getting my Air Force touch points. So every year I would go to Hurlburt to recertify my IDMT uh, paramedic and all my other certifications that I need. So I had to do it in an air force base. And plus it was nice just getting back with the air force and kind of touch point, like, Hey guys, I'm still alive, <laughs> you know, still around here. Here I am. And, uh, yeah. So I remember my, uh, uh, the chief, the Magcom chief, he's the one who told me I, I promoted and I was totally surprised. I didn't think it was going to, you know, I, I wasn't looking down that route. And I remember he told me, so it was like two things came out of my mouth. I was like, Oh my, I was like, wow, I was so happy. And so uh, surprised. And then my next words were, uh, where am I going? Because I knew it was like promoting. I remember my, my sergeant major told me when I was, uh, you know, back at back at that unit, he said, look, man, and this is when I was a tech sergeant. He said, look, man, he's like, you got legs under you. You got probably another three, four years here. But he's like, eventually you're going to have to move out of the community. He's like, because there's really only two reasons why somebody like us, a, a longer in the tooth master sergeant or a senior master sergeant is still running around on the dirt is a, you look like a jerk because you're eating a slot that a younger guy can be in there mm. and learning from, or B you look like a guy who just can't get out of here. Oh wow. And I was like, mm-hmm. and he's like, I had to do it. So this guy was a legendary medic, mm-hmm. uh, army 18 Delta medic. And, uh, and I really looked up to him. And, uh, so that was always stuck with me. And I was always, I, I pay attention to everything people tell me. So I, you hear little bits and you're like, okay, I'm going to store that. I'm going to store that. <laughs> in the Rolodex. But he was telling me I was still, you know, only like, you know, four years into the unit, which was like really new. You're right. still kind of uh, pretty much, you know, <laughs> you're still on people kind are, of probation. People you know? are giving me the side eye still. Is that what you're <laughs> still, you're just not a part in being an Air Force guy. You're still, oh. you're way like yep. started a major deficit. 
And, uh, but I always remembered that. And it was like, I was like, okay, well, I'm just still trying to learn my job and trying to be good and trying to, you know, do, do what they need me to do. And I wasn't even thinking that, but then right when that happened, it all came to fruit. I was like, ah, where am I going? And they're like, okay, well, here's your job. So anyways, I, uh, I had a opportunity to take over the Magcom functional manager at Herbert field mm-hmm. or AFSOC. So I went, uh, straight over there and I did that for three years. And it was a great experience, learned a lot. And uh, we did some really great things there. We were able to change. So it was really good coming from a ground operational unit to a staff, you know, policy driven position because it's the flash, the bang from being on the ground that actually influencing policy to make things better for the people on the ground was so quick. Cause I'm like, I just came from there like a right. few months ago. So it's like, when we talk about these things, uh, issues and obstacles that are on the ground, now I'm in a position to influence them and help change them. And so it was really good. It was really busy, but I went there, I was pretty motivated and pretty excited to get things done. What was and we had a, we had a great team, which was funny as we had, uh, so I mean, cause no, go ahead. They had, uh, <clears throat> so at the time, one of my uh, great friends, Nick Graham, had come up from the unit, and he was now at Hurlburt. And one of my other great friends who I worked with came up and was also at headquarters with me. So I kind of had these couple people I can kind of talk to because we all had a lot of shared experiences. Right. And uh, we really got, I think we really did some really good things there. And so it was cool. I don't know if I'd been able to probably not do as much had they not been there. Mm-hmm. Because I had other people with other the same mentality of like, we need to push this rock forward and we need right. to push it forward fast mm-hmm. because we're just impatient. There was no other reason. We're just like, we just need to get this done. Yep. And so we were able to put forth a lot of initiatives. So I think it was just, just pure timing that the three of us were out there. And there were some people, priority people, and plus AFSOC, you know, tends to lean forward. Mm-hmm. And so that, that helped with the momentum a little bit. But we got a lot done. It was really busy. We got a lot done and did that for about three years. So I was going to ask you, sorry to interrupt earlier, but what was one of the bigger, cause I know my answer for you, but what was one of the bigger culture shifts coming from the unit to like working now back in the air force side of things? If you're, even though it's AFSOC, but like working in the air force side of things, what did you, what was don't, so don't think of me cause I'm biased and I know what you're, I know what I'll say. Cause you used to call me all the time, but what was, what was <laughs> something else that you saw that was a cultural shift, a big swing that was like just hard to, or took a couple of months or whatever to get back into the swing of things from the air force side. So I'll tell you, it took me nine months. And, uh, right when I got there, there was a, a chief who had been running around who came from the same community and he was at Hurlburt. And I remember he pulled me out to lunch one day when I was there about a month and he said, Hey man, I just want to let you know that the tempo here at AFSOC is a little slower than what you're used to. And he's like, they, before we thought that moved kind of slow. He's like, here it moves a little bit slower. <laughs> and he's like, I ran into this and I just want to share with you that I ran into it because I was getting really frustrated that things weren't getting done fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, well, I, I appreciate the time. You know, I sat down with him and we had a, a great talk and he did a lot of good mentorship and, and I listened to everything he said and he was a phenomenal dude. And sure enough, like nine months later, I was just coming off the coming off the rafters about something and then I just paused and I was like, there it is. I just, I just hit that point. So I called him and I was like, you're right. It took me nine months, but I got here. He's like, I told you you were going to do it. (laughs) And so, yeah, it just moves a little bit slower. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a mentality, the smaller, the smaller, the group, the more unique, the mission set, the faster you can navigate, you can be, you know, flat and flexible constantly. Yep. And the bigger it gets, the slower it moves. That's just by, you know, like, some sort of law there's somewhere. More, I'm there's sure more there's gears some, in the machine, right? There's, there's more, more people involved. And gears and there's more, there's more layers of approval. There's more, I don't want to say people standing in your way, but you got to run it through more people where, right. you know, the smaller it is, it's like, Hey, I think we can do this. And I think we can do this better. They're like, do it. And then it's, you get after it. Yep. You know, you go to, you know, a bigger place. And then it's like, Oh, you gotta get three people to say, do it. And then you get to a larger place and then you gotta get, eight people to say do it and so on. So that was the thing. It didn't move as fast as I was wanted to, but I'm also inherently impatient, (laughs) like drastically. Do you remember how many times you called me and what it was about? Do you remember? 
Oh, it's probably hey, bro, my laptop. Come. I am trying to get to this whatever file or whatever, and yeah. I the network is going slow. And how how hard is it to connect to a printer? I have to go through three people to get approved yeah. to connect to this printer. Do you remember all so this? So frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I remember this. I was like, oh, welcome back, buddy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember the network would go down and everybody would just, and so now you're at the Magcom, so your job is, you know, staff work. So I'm 100% relying on my computer. And mm. I came from years of, you know, you perform or you get fired. Mm. Like I'd see people get fired quickly. Mm. And so I just always had that. You're always, every day's a job interview. You're just constantly fighting for survival. So I went out there and the network's down and people are standing around. And I go, hey, uh, I can't access my computer. And they go, yeah, the, the network's down right now. And I go, well, how long is it down for? And they go, oh, I don't really know. And I'm like, so this is just it? We just stand here? <laughs> like, I got to do some. So I go off and do my face-to-face -face meetings or whatever I can do. But yep. it, it's just me being incredibly pay, impatient. Yeah, that's what they say what, is it brings down brings down the air force's lightning within five and <laughs> apparently nipper net right that's <laughs> it's true and yeah it yeah. was it was it was definitely uh a, a shift but i've you know it's another opportunity you know to look at like good like let's get let's get alternatives so yeah. i would i would use my personal laptop and i do all my stuff that i had to do personally and then the network would go down so i'd get a puck so i had a mobile wi-fi so the network would go down, I'd pack up, and I'd tell the uh, front office, I'd say, hey, I'm going to be in my mobile office. And I'd go to the <laughs> parking lot and sit in my truck and just thump away on emails because it got a decent signal. I couldn't get a signal inside the building. And, uh, yeah, just constantly finding ways to navigate around these obstacles. I'm glad that your mobile you. office, not what a traditional mobile office would be, is uh, <clears throat> the latrine, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I can uh, sit you <laughs> sitting there on your lap just like, you know, yeah, going to town in the stall. <laughs> commissary parking lot gets really good signal. <laughs> So if it was a little wonky outside, it, you know, the Wi-Fi puck could grab it, but if that started the jack up, I'd go to the commissary and I'd sit in that parking lot. And, oh my gosh. And so I just, you know, not only you have to be mobile with how you do things, you got to be mobile on where you do things, yeah. where sometimes, because this area is a little, a little weird with signals, so yeah. you can have a signal there one day and you don't have it the next day, so then I got to drive until I'm like... Okay, I got a signal. I just park somewhere and then keep working. You just have to keep going towards the top of the mountain, right? That's what I did. just keep going towards or the top. Or just of around the mountain. Like, how are we getting there? Like, I'm like, I need to get this stuff done. And uh, I don't know a better way to do it. Like, if the network goes down, I can't just throw up my arms. I got to figure out ways around this. Wow. And just like, and uh, you know, it's just a man. I, I, I feel it's a mentality across the board. So it's whether it's you know, life or relationships or finances or whatever you got, there, there's always pathways. You just got to take a step back and, yep. you know, even if you can just pause for a second, say there's, what are my alternatives? Right. No matter what the situation that already starts to change your brainwaves on how you think instead of just like, well, that, you know, this is broken. Like, well, that's it. It's, this stuff always happens to me and just sit around. You just go, okay, cool. This sucks. All right. Yeah. All right. Now what are my alternatives? Right. How can I, how can I navigate this problem? Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan. Well, with the exception of you know, so, sometimes with health things being like idle hands, I still try to do something, you know, or watch Netflix specials. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you did that for how long was that tour? Three the, years. Three years at AFSOC, and then you moved to. I moved to Eglin Air Force Base after that. Okay. And that's what they call you know, super far. By the way, have to pack yeah. it up, ferry it around. Well, you know. I I think I was cheap. That's why I got that assignment <laughs> because they're like, well, you know, we can save a lot of money. We can just move Weiss. That way, he's you know, I literally left on Friday and started work on Monday, so with no travel day or anything. So it's, it's like a way to save money for the DOD and Air Force, right? I mean, that's, at the end of the day. Well, I, when I when my career field manager when she hit me up, she said, "Hey, congratulations, you got Eglin." I was like, "Hey, thank you, ma'am. I really." appreciate it. I go, but you know, I'm cheap, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did I gig? Like you congratulate me. Like I just like, you know, finished a marathon or something, but it, it was definitely, it was a challenging job to move into because I'd been outside the med group for about 17 years and outside like traditional, uh, construct of the medical construct. And so it was a steep learning curve going back. And that's where, you know, hum humility comes in. I had to talk to her and said, look, I really appreciate the, op the opportunity, but you know, Am I the best person for this job? I think there's other people who've been in the med group for many, many years who are probably way more versed than I am and right. can probably add value. And the Air Force has spent a lot of money to give me a unique skill set. And I think it'd be best to, you know, stay within that skill set, but I'll do whatever your guidance is. And she goes, I think it'll be fine. I need to, I want to, you know, give you another view at 
how how this whole system works and I think you'll adapt to it well. Yeah. And so I went over there and I was very transparent. I said, look, this is not, I, you know, it's been a while. I'll work hard, but uh, I got a lot to spin up on because yeah. there's a very, there's some aspect that I'm very well versed in. And there's other aspects of kind of like traditional in hospital policy and, you know, budget and everything, even right. though they're all the same programs, just sure. on a much larger scale. Like I mentioned go before we had a, you know, an eight, person team right now we have a staff of 1700 oh. we're still dealing with budget manning sure. and all these constraints it's just on a much larger scale and much more dynamic but i ended up going over there i had a, luckily i had a great boss colonel urban he was uh fantastic and uh he was real patient with me when i come up and like you know with my knuckle dragger mentality <laughs> and he was he was very uh understanding so yeah. he was uh he was great and uh and yeah so i'm still there and i Recently, when I promoted to chief, I ended up moving over to the functional manager spot, which has been another, you know, same pro same processes as MagCom. It's just a little bit more complicated, being is that we have so many different AFSCs and so many different people in the hospital and so many different directives on what we're trying to do. Right. But it's still fun. It's, if it, you know, complicated problems get complicated solutions. Sometimes they're simple, but usually they're not. It's, That's it's true. A, you know. There's, there's not a silver bullet because there's a lot of very smart people who came before me in this position throughout my entire career. Like, like I just, you know, very smart people before me who have done all great things. So these are not simple solutions where you can be like, oh, they forgot this. And it's this one little thing that's so easy. It's like usually somebody thought about it first. So right. the solutions become more dynamic and more interwoven. How, so how long have you been, um, how long have you been a chief for? I've been, let me see, I pinned on, uh, I think February this year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know so it's not pretty long, recent. So not long. One, one of the things that we skipped though was when you, I don't remember how long you had been here or Herbert, but you actually emceed my retirement. Absolutely. That was uh, <laughs> a highlight of my career. It was definitely an honor. I can tell you like some of the things. So I, there's things that I just absolutely love. I love RMOs. I love coins. I love patches. I don't really buy them everywhere. Like I'm that, that kind of person. Like for, you know, you go places and people are doing fundraisers for of course right. of course i'll buy them but when somebody actually comes and gives you a coin or gives you a patch like that's a deliberate and it's a very intimate thing have, have you noticed that because so i used to when i was at hurlburt and i did a lot of the professional development stuff and i went and taught ftac which is the first term mm-hmm. center and they didn't really have the buy-in to rmos and i was like man did you know where where does that come in because they're coming in i remember how important they were you know as mm-hmm. far as that goes and i was like and my brain trying to remember when those stories took place and when that grabbed me, you know, through my career. And like I was telling you earlier, now I, I go through them because they're, they're memory triggers for me, yeah. right? Like I'm like, oh, wow, I remember working over here and these people giving them to me or whatever. So like, have you found like when you've given them to other folks now in the younger generations that they, that they appreciate them or have you found like any difference in that? So I don't give them because I don't have any. How so dare you? I, you know, I wasn't really sure because the, I, you know, I'm still learning this position and the chief before me, he didn't have coins. So I wasn't sure if like, Hey, this is just a group thing being as that I'm, I'm not, I'm not the group chief. I'm the functional manager and I want to overstep, but also I always thought it'd be cool, but I'm, I'm like trying to look into like cooler ones. But the point is I would like to, cause I, th- I think it's cool and I kind of like them, but maybe people don't like them anymore. I don't know. But same thing is like, patches like i've been on trainings where somebody give me like their unit patch or something they're like hey it was really you know great getting to know you really you know whatever here's a patch and i i love that just like if for yourself somebody asks you to to speak at somewhere or to MC, that's like you know that to me means everything and that's uh and i really enjoy this especially people come into my office all the time or they just call me and they're like hey can i just talk to you i just want to kind of talk about the next few years of my life and what I should be doing. I just want to, you know, kind of pick your brain. And sure. I'm like, absolutely, man. I will clear hell and high water on my schedule and make sure I'm there. Cause that's like the best part of the job. So the, the, the point I'm getting is these little things like when, when you requested that or, you know, those things, of those are the things that mean the most. Yeah. Yeah. There was something to be said about getting a flag at the retirement ceremony. Like I, I think anybody, and I get it right. A lot of folks like, you know, my wife didn't have a retirement ceremony just with time frame, whatever. Yeah. And, and sometimes like, and I learned and I was, I was on the, the fence about it, but I found out it's more about the others, like my family. So, you know, so I got promoted overseas one time. Right. So yeah. like they didn't have the opportunity to come and see some of that stuff. Cause you're not 
typically, right? You, you're never, you're not really like close to your parents or maybe they can't fly out during that promotion, you know, ceremony or whatever else. So it was a really big deal. So, and, and they didn't know a lot of stuff that I did. Right. So it was culminated, you know, yeah. in that, in that, that ceremony. And they were like, wow, you know, and mm -hmm. I, it was really crazy. Cause I had friends from high school come, which blew. I, I mean, That's I hadn't fantastic. seen some of these folks in a long time. One, one guy, Christopher Duini, by the way, um, who's now a C-17 pilot. And I think he's, God, did he make 06? I think he just recently made 06. If that tells you the difference, this, this dirtbag over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, amazing, no. amazing guy. Went to the academy and everything. Uh, just really cool. It came down. My best friend, Ronnie from high school, Eva Smith. I mean, just some like, like seeing it. It was neat, right? And so I think that's, that's the part I would, I would say is if people are considering and getting to that point, sometimes it's not about you, right? Because like, yeah. again, when that humility and hum, being humble, um, is like, ah, maybe, you know, it's not a thing, but it's, it's sometimes it's good for your family and friends to, to see that and go through that and just have a better understanding. And again, with the flags and, you know, like that's, that's cool, right? It's in my retirement box. Like that's a cool thing to have. And, you know, pass that down and I chose a box so they can put it in the closet, you know, <laughs> like, good. here, yeah. dad, you know, here's dad. I mean, we'll just put it in the closet and we'll remember him later on, whatever. But that's, that's a thing. So I, I and if I remember correctly, I don't think you cried when you did the, flag. Oh yeah, I did. Not did the you? flag. I cried when I was talking about the kids. I've I, seen the toughest people cry during that flag ceremony. Oh. And there's something so touching about it. Well, especially when they're, yeah, because they're reading off about the folds and especially yeah. if they do it with the rank and everything. But when at the end, when I give the, you know, they're like the obligatory, hey, you know, and, and I start talking about my kids and the wife and like how the impact was with that. And like, because you start recalling all the times yeah. you're away and you're missing birthdays and anniversaries and all that stuff, like, you know, the normal. But yeah, that's, that's when I couldn't control it anymore. And I get into that sobby, like, <laughs> You know, like, like who is this person? Like, I, who thought is this you, <laughs> I thought you did great. That was, such, that was such an honor to be there. And it was so great we watching really you, like that. watching through your, your whole career. And I remember at the end before your speech, you go, what should I, you go, what should I do now? Or something to that effect. I go, do whatever you want. <laughs> your day, do your retirement. Like as long as you're happy with like all the formalities are over, like do whatever you want. Yeah. And, uh, and it was really great. So you, you, you spoke very organically and unfiltered and that was really cool to see. And that's, that's where you love being a part of something is when it's just all organic, when everybody's there, your family's there because you, you love you. We're there because we love you. We're a part of it because we love you. And you're getting emotional and speaking about everybody because you love everybody that's there. And that's, that's really where, that's what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I think it was major Clifford Lucas was my. The, the officer, if you will, mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, great. Oh, God. It was so funny, just real quick, and then we'll move on to this the next topic. But um, when I did my last um, re-up, I did it. <laughs> we, we had a plan. Not a big thing. It was me, him, and my wife uh, at Hurlburt, and it started pouring rain. So you know where they have all the aircraft? We did it underneath one of the wings because it was awesome. pouring. Yeah, I think it was one of the older spookies. Like, we yeah. did it underneath. <laughs> just, That's awesome. I remember watching the video and the, you just see the rain pouring off the wings like, yeah. <laughs> or the wing that we we're under and it's yeah. just like hitting us in the face. <laughs> I mean, what a cool, unique, I mean, some people don't aircraft EOD explosions, all those cool things, but that yeah. was like a neat, you know, like, Hey, this is my last one type of deal. Cause it wasn't too much longer uh, until I hit the, hit the button. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. Okay. So that was a lot. We covered a lot, um, really good long period of time there. So we've covered your background and your military career. So part during the military career, which I think is interesting um, cause not a lot of people have the opportunity to do this, but, um, it, it sounds like, you know, you did a lot of cool stuff and fitness was a huge part of it. Absolutely. So one of the things that we both, you know, back in Germany, when <laughs> we went through, I think it was called AFAA and I don't remember, was it? this is the acronym. I don't a remember. ASA? A F it was AF and I don't remember if it was AA or AFA. I thought maybe it was ASAA or something like that, Yeah. but it was a certification and I think we're a bomb holder. We, we both, yeah, I, I don't remember. know how I got it paid for, but. We went because we both. I think we did. I think we we paid for it on our own. Did we? Because we were both. I thought we were both PTLs, and would they? Anyways, I I don't remember. Yeah, so we go there to get this like legit cert, and we have to study. And I, <laughs> I passed the test, and you didn't pass the test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I failed my first swing at that test by one point. I remember, and I was just like, "That's a stupid." Test. <laughs> Here's the fatty, the fatty of the rugby guy, and the fitness guy. So it, I thought that was hilarious. The medical guy. Um, Cause it had like some kinesiology and all that stuff. I remember it was like, if you're, if you, uh, a client that's pregnant and how long can they do this and how much can they lift? Oh man, that's crazy. So when did, cause this is the part where we both did it. So ironically enough, I know if, if you're watching this now, like the body doesn't look at just, you know, after a period of time, um, and five kids, but like we did CrossFit, like we, we started did. in the CrossFit, uh, yeah. in that community. And I, I know that I was in Bagram in 08, I think it was when, 
I really like, I was having bad back problems, really mm-hmm. bad. Like yeah. I, I was able to go, but I was hurting. I remember that. And um, I started learning about it and it was all about like strength in the core, right? Core to extremities is one of the, the mm-hmm. CrossFit things. And this is like, this was when CrossFit, I think before they got their initial certification through, I think it was ACE or somebody because yeah. they went through two. Cause I remember I had a test twice. Yeah. Yeah. So, the first certi- certification was a certification. It wasn't accredited. That's right. Yeah. So they, yeah, two accreditations. So they got accredited one. I can't remember national. Yeah. And then they went to another one. Something I can't remember off the top of my head. So I remember that. And like, I had a, a group, right. And so I started making up workouts, which is like one of the best parts with what you have available. There's yeah. a fire station there. I started doing that and it helped. It started to mitigate the pain because it started to really strengthen my core. Absolutely. So uh, I found that from a, just like survival part, um, not anything else, <laughs> but also my PT test was like, you know, Hey, you're not just passing. You're doing a little better. I'm like, sweet. That's yeah. a score. <laughs> and I'm surviving. Um, so how did you see CrossFit influence and help you, you know, in, in your, um, in your time where you had fitness was so important to you. So how, how did you see that influence you? Yeah. Well, fitness has always been important. I just, I've gone through many different aspects of it, but it was at, when I was at Fairchild in 2007, they sent all the PTLs to get their CrossFit certification. And just to let you know how long ago that was Dave Castro, who was the games coordinator taught my class <laughs> and I believe it was Nicole. I don't know her last name, oh. but she's another ma- Nicole Carroll, somebody. Oh. Nicole Carroll. That's it. Yeah. So those two mm-hmm. taught the class and, uh, and it was great. It was phenomenal and came back and I, I never looked back and just kept on, uh, you know, I did it before that I did, you know, was moving towards CrossFit. There were some guys in the, you know, in the community that were doing it. So I was like, what is this? And he's like, yeah, Fran. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so I was like, trying to understand the methodology. I'm like, well, this is rapid movement, good form, you know, high intensity, mm-hmm. you know, large lows, long distance quickly. Like, what does all this mean? And trying to put it together from a, you know, a very long just background of just working on myself, but probably doing most things wrong and going through here. And then I just fell in love with it and adapted to it. And in very similar sense, it's, it's a lot like the military, like, there's so many different movements. Like you may be great at deadlifts, but you suck at snatches. You mm-hmm. suck at pull-ups and you may be good at running, but suck at rowing. Like you're mm-hmm. never going to be good at everything. So you're just constantly trying to raise a little watermark, but you're always getting, there's always movements that humble you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I liked. It was so diverse and so many different things. And it was such a strong community that, and especially at that time, that was like pre CrossFit craze. All right. And then kind of rode that whole CrossFit craze, but I loved it. It was a great community, healthy community is fun. And I uh, just kept on going with that. And then eventually, like we talked about earlier, I, I ended up buying a CrossFit gym in 2011, I believe. And uh, it was a, it was a gym my wife at the time went to, and it was pretty dilapidated, pretty Spartan gym. Like equipment was broken. There was like a handful of members, but they were all good members, good people. And I remember, and it was attached to like another gym, kind of like a global muscular gym or meathead gym, if you will. Yeah. It wasn't like a global gym it was privately owned, but it was kind of like that type of sure. machines and treadmills and things like that. But this was like a little offshoot separated by a chain link fence. <laughs> and so it looked awesome. It looked like this bullpen <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd work out there and a lot of other military <clears throat> cats would work out there, but I noticed it was like pretty beat down. Yeah. And so I just asked the owner one day, I'm like, Hey, you interested in selling that? And he's like, yeah. So I, I bought it and then I deployed and uh, came home and told my wife, I'm like, hey, I bought a gym. She's like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm deploying. <laughs> so, so anyways, we took that and eventually, uh, it, it had about, we bought it, it, had about 30 members in it. And we placed all the equipment and the gym the next door ended up going out of business. So we expanded into that area. And we went from about 30 members to about 200, 215. Did you keep the chain like fence up or did you No, <laughs> we did not but there's still pictures of it floating around <laughs> and uh yeah we ended up we kept it for uh several years and i loved it i had an absolute great time my kids were literally raised like when i say my kids were raised in a the gym they were literally raised like i would be teaching classes weightlifting classes and my kids would be rolling around in diapers like crawling on the floor and everything so they they know which is great because they uh 
they walk in any gym and they're super comfortable. Like they, they're not intimidated. Right. The other side is they walk in every gym, like they own it. So <laughs> I'm like, it's not your gym, son. Like, you know, cause they'll go just start touching stuff and everything. I'm like, Hey, the, but they're, they're very comfortable. And just growing up seeing their mother and father work out all the time in a community of people working out. So they just like, they work out all the time and fitness is just part of it. It's not like, fitness is part of their life. It's just something that they do. Like they right. eat, drink, work out. It's just, it was embedded in them when they were very young and they were exposed to it. And we ended up selling it to some great friends who still run it to this day and they've done phenomenal things and they've taken it much further than I could have at the time with a, you know, it was high operational tempo. So I was training a lot and deploying a lot. And so basically the gym got a little bit, too, I guess you can say just too much to run. There was right. so many people and so much logistics that it actually needed you know, full time people Karen, running, Karen feeding a little bit more. Karen yeah. Feeding, yeah. And then, so they, some friends of ours who they were going to open their own gym, CrossFit gym, and they were going to have a building built and everything. And I said, well, Hey, if you want, you can just hang out with us yeah. and you can learn all the ins and outs and you know, I'll show you the, show the books and everything. And like our pitfalls and what we did that, what didn't work out so well. And some of the things we did that were good. And you can, that way you don't have to hit these stutter steps. You can just hit the ground running. And then after a couple months, they were so integrated with everything and they understood everything. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm like, I can't hang on to this. This is just too much for me. So I sell it to you guys if you want, cause mm-hmm. it's plug and play right now. It makes right. money. It's running on its own. Everybody's happy. You know, everybody like we can, you guys come in, we slowly step out and that's fine. And so yeah. we ended up doing that and they're doing even phenomenal things with it now. And it's, it's, uh, it's really cool to see that going, even though the name's changed, right. but it's still in the same spot. So every time I drive by kind of smile. Did you think that the, the marketing was easier or harder because of the CrossFit brand, right? With the, cause I know you have to pay the affiliate fee and all that, but I mean, yeah. did, did you feel that being CrossFit already, like you were able to bring in some people because it's, it was, it has become the CrossFit thing it is now, but that brought some folks in without you having to purposely go out and do marketing for that? Yeah. So the, we had a, uh, so our, our principles for our business was family fun fitness. So all three things. So no matter what we did, it had to be lumped under that. So if we wanted to do an initiative or whatever we wanted to do, we'd sit down and be like, hey, what pillar does it fall under? Family, fun, or fitness? And also your biggest advertisement. So that day, short answer is yes, CrossFit at that time, people would seek out CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like now you kind of look at like the best CrossFit gym, who has open gym, what's right. the, what program do you follow? You look at the coaches, what's the coach's experience? So like, right. do they have a pool? Do they have yoga? Do they have childcare? Then it was like, people just saw CrossFit pull up and sign up. Right. It wasn't in droves. Like it had to be good, but it was, if you were a serious CrossFit gym, like you took care of your equipment, you had good coaches and good programming, people would find you and good word of mouth. Luckily we were on a fairly busy street. It was a main street. And so our, a lot of our marketing was our members. Right. So if you do warm ups or anytime there was a, a wad that had a run in it, you have like 30 people in phenomenal shape running up and down yep. the street, all shapes and sizes. So there was, you know, old 60, 70 year olds there. There was 14 year olds there. There was big, small, short, skinny. So every time they be working out, there's always somebody who's seen it is like, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. All right. So that was the best advertisement, but yeah, CrossFit was magnetic at that time. So really there was, if you had the name CrossFit, people would seek you out. Yeah. Yeah. It so was a little bit easier than it is. I think now I would have to imagine it's probably a little bit more competitive and probably a bigger bite to get in. I, I couldn't imagine what it costs to get a CrossFit gym up and running right now. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Cause there's <clears throat> like quite a few here, but I mean also like with the military community where we're at, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some stuff on, on the respective basis, but we have that that's like, it's sort of um, black rifle coffee, right? They, they yeah. I don't know how hard, do you know how hard it is? I knew a guy, um, one of the general managers, I think he's left, but you know, you almost have to compete to have one of those franchises. Um, like really? they, Oh yeah. They look at the community. I mean, like you should with any business, but they look at the community demographics and like, you know, of course the military community, like, you know, that's, that's a big draw on their very, yeah that that's their, their customer. And I mean, having three bases here right, yeah. are, are close to each other, Hobart, Eglin, Duke, right? I mean, they're pretty all, you know, what, within 30, 20 to 30 minutes of each other. That's a huge draw. So yeah, like anytime. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I didn't know it was such a fight for franchise because CrossFit believes in survival of the fittest. So if I open a CrossFit gym and you want to open up one next door to me, there's no franchise laws against it, at least at the time. So the, they just look at CrossFit like, well, the better gym will win. Wow. That's interesting. And so, uh, yeah. So again, the franchise, there was no, 
really rules as far as where you can put one. Yeah. That's why there were at a time there was like a lot of them in condensed areas, but then yeah. they, you know, I guess the market, the market will decide. Yeah. Oh, and it's, well, that's a go comparison, like for the industry side of the house, but it's also very coffee is very, very, very difficult and very, in some areas saturated. And so you have to be yeah. careful with that. And you, it would, it would really stink to like open up with that name and the prominence and where you're, what you've built up and where you're headed and just have it like fail because that, yeah. you know, someone's like ambitious, they have the the money, but they, the due diligence wasn't done or created. Yeah. And that's like Jim and I talked about that. I don't know if you know, he's an area developer for big B coffee. So he has like quite a few that he's responsible mm-hmm. for and goes through that. And they look at that, right? The, the market in general and say, what other ones are out there with the big names and how yeah. far, and they have to have a business differentiator as far as like being more community driven yeah. type of stuff. So it's very interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, so that's interesting. So you're in the military, so you're actually at a gym. Uh, what other kind of, of business, if you will, or since, um, would you say you experienced or, or have now, um, mm. that you still have and that you're operating, mm. if you will, uh, and your current state. So, yeah. So like my initial, when I first started going to school was business, I was always fascinated by business. Mm-hmm. Like I love numbers. They're not emotional. They're they're When done right, they can tell a pretty good story. So I just, I understand things with numbers. I'm a little like wired a little differently that way. Like I don't, you know, they're, they're just, they're objective. Right. And that's what I like about them. So with that being said, is I do, uh, so I do, investments and probably my biggest investment I have now is rental properties. So not a ton. I have three houses and two of them are rental properties. And I just did that. Like, you know, when I moved to one place, I bought a house. And then when I moved to the next place, I just didn't sell it and I just rented it Yeah, and then did it again and then kept it. And it's, you know, real estate is one of the, is, is a very sound investment if you don't really want to take the time to learn stock market and mutual funds Mm -hmm. or, you know, exchanges and how things move, like property virtually never loses money. So Mm -hmm. if you can just get your hands on it, you can always increase the value of it and it's secure. And I look at it like, yeah, you have to, you know, it it does take some maintenance to keep this running. You got to be a little, you know, there's, there's some things you got to get spun up on, but I think it's probably one of the, you know, as far as investment, it's probably one of the, easier yeah. hills to climb to get into. Did you have any big like lessons learned coming out of all the years that you've had it? Like anything like, holy crud, I wish I would have, when I left there, I wish I would have just go ahead and updated the HVAC or something before I left. Cause now I have to go back and the, like, have you had any kind of those stories or lessons learned from, from having rental properties? The, uh, well, rental properties, I, it's, you gotta be very cautious about who you put in and you gotta separate the business from, from the, from any other aspect. So, so what that means is like, you want to almost, you want to make sure you're putting the right person in there. So for instance, I had a place and I was trying to be really, it was these three guys right there, red flag, right? So three, (laughs) (laughs) three dudes who wanted to rent the place. They're great guys. They were all chefs at different restaurants. Interesting. And I used to work at restaurants and everything. So we started to talk about that and everything. And so I was like, all right, this, you know, I'm like, uh, this isn't, you know, not that I didn't want to rent to them, but you know, you three single dudes renting the place. You got to think like, well, like what, what can happen with that? And it turned out a lot. So they ended up like virtually destroying the place. Oh no! And I had to take, uh, like three weeks off work cost me over $10,000 oh, and wow. I had to virtually remodel the entire place. And you learn a lot about the laws. So if somebody punches a hole in your wall, you can't charge them. You know, if you were to seek for damages, you can't charge them to fix the entire wall. So it'd be like, what is an entire piece cost to cover up the entire wall? And then that hole is a certain percentage of that. So let's say the whole wall costs a thousand dollars. Let's just say for random numbers. And that's only 4% of the wall. Well, you only get 4%. But oh, in man. order to fix that hole, you, you have, have to, to fix whole this wall. whole piece. But you can't. So there's wow. a little, So those were some of the things I learned is that, like, you got to be a little bit more, you know, involved. Yeah. And, you know, you know, just be cautious on, like, you got to check references. You got to make sure you're putting in the right person. If not, like, that's, I virtually had great experiences for for years. But that was definitely a downside. But it turned out being good. Because I was able to 
in because I remodeled the whole place, it actually upped the value of it because mm. things had to be updated anyway. So right. it, it was a, a net benefit. And then I ended up selling it just because it was, you know, having three houses in three states is just not a great business model. Mm. You want three houses on the same street, right? not three different states. So yeah. it wasn't a great business model. So I was like, it's probably time to let this one go and ended up uh, letting it go. That's awesome. So I mean, were you able to like, so I guess with the, I'm assuming you got to sell for profit, hopefully. And you just, did you move that into another investment? Like, so in other words, like I know a lot of folks, like they'll do rentals and if they sell one, they'll buy maybe another one near their area. Right. So they'll take the profit or they invest it in their own house because they mm -hmm. know they're, they'll move out of that house and then yeah. they'll create that one as a rental and the transition to move. Yeah. That's what I did. I did a 50, 50 split. So I took 50 and I put it in investments. And then I took the other 50% and paid down some of the value in the other two houses and did upgrades. Gotcha. So it gave me breathing room. Like I knew, you know, it's going to need a roof in a year. So sure. I'll just do it now. So I don't have to worry about it for 15 years and, you know, probably needs windows in three years. I'll just get them now. And then I don't have to worry. So on. So wow, that's great. I kind of just rapidly invested that money into upgrades and sustainment. So then that way I, I can breathe for a few years without anything catastrophic on your big ones, your roof, your windows, your HVAC. Those are the things that'll put your lights out. <laughs> yeah. Those are the big ones. Those are big tabs. Yeah. HVAC's crazy. It um, sure is. So, so we're getting towards the end here, which is, this has been fantastic. I, I know like in all aspects, it's gone really fast. Cause you know, we, we like to, we like to talk and there's a lot of interesting stories between both of us. <laughs> um, so I, I want to hit some lessons learned. So now that you're getting, you know, long in the tooth yeah. as a chief, um, can you give me like one or two lessons learned that you've had over your career that have, that have stuck with you? Like you said, you put some stuff in your Rolodex, right? Yeah, can yeah. you think of anything from a professional standpoint that you, you know, rest your laurels on, if you will, or you have that theme that has continued on with you? Cause I know you said you had good on there, which is Jocko. So, yeah. but do you have I any, stole his. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but do you have anything that you say, man, after this, um, what, 20, 23 years now you, you've been in 23 years. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. so 23 years, yeah. like pull trucks at 20. Um, so 23 years. So if you went back, what would be like one of those one or two things, those top themes that you have as lessons learned? The lessons learned. So I would say one, I didn't learn it until later because I didn't truly learn the value of it is, is feedback. So like we sit our entire lives, most of us inside of our car, looking out the windshield, but we need to spend time looking in the car through the windshield. And I'm not talking about a car. I'm talking about how people perceive you. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time, you know, either making judgments or decisions from inward out. We don't make a lot coming back in. So I always, I, and it's, you know, it's one of the things that the military across the board's got right. Like you got to fight for feedback and I'll ask people through no matter what it is, whether it's an event, whether it's speaking engagement, or even just somebody random who I've had some interaction with, I'll ask them for feedback. And it doesn't matter the rank, position, or anything, because I want to know. And a lot of times, if it's somebody who I know a little better, who mm -hmm. who kind of like I can have a, you know, um, knows me a little bit more in depth as far as can give me a, a little bit longer of feedback, I, I, don't, look, I, don't, I don't mean to be rude, but don't tell me anything good because that's not going to help me. I need to know the things I'm going to, that I need to work on. What are my blind spots? What do you see? What do you perceive? And, you know, I think naturally we steer away from that feedback because it hurts. Mm -hmm. It does, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, but it makes you better and you just got to get past this thing and it stings a little less every time, but it still stings. Right. And I've had, uh, numerous feedbacks and most of the time there, uh, I always come out with something that's really beneficial. I put it into action and it's really important because ultimately you work for the people around you. So you got to know what do they think about you? Right. You know, what, what could you be doing better for them? Because if you think you're doing great, well, that's great. You don't employ you. You don't work for you. Right. You know, you are to serve the people around you. So you got to need to know what they feel. And it doesn't mean you have to where people like, you know, maybe like, oh, you never buy me lunch like, okay, well, like, or whatever it is. I don't yeah. know. Something random. But if somebody's like, Hey, when you say this, it always, it comes across as, this and I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I'll remember that. And it's uh, so that's one of the most important things is is real unfiltered feedback, and you got to get it from people who you're going to trust are going to give it to you. So if you give it to somebody who doesn't really know, they're like, oh yeah, you're a great person, blah blah blah. You need to find somebody who's who's knows you enough to give you good quality feedback, but also trust you enough to know they can they can come at you and you're going to absorb it as something learned. 
and I think it's it's way undervalued, and uh, people need to utilize it more. I try and utilize it as much as I can. I try and get it from people as much as I can. And like I said, <laughs> it never feels good, but it always makes you better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's huge. Uh, yeah, that's probably one of the more difficult things to sit and get the construct. Well, you, and you also hopefully like couch it as constructive criticism. And I like the terminology you used to sort of brief that, right? Like, hey, I, I need the bad, but you know, like in this manner, right? Don't just slam me. Like, that's not going to help anybody. Take the emotion out, but give me like, hey, how is this interpreted or perceived when I say this or state this or whatever? That's huge. That's a huge thing because in your mind, you're like, I'm communicating communicating and conveying this perfectly. And they're like, actually not. You come across like pompous and like, you know, everything you're like, really? Cause I felt like when we were having the conversation that I like, I felt humble and I'm just, here's my experience and I want everyone to learn from it. But I also, what else do you know? That's different than this, right? Like those kind of examples, because sometimes you just don't know, like, yeah. unless you ask those kind of, by the way, it was a real experience. Um, <laughs> could you tell, uh, but you're like, Hey man, I really thought this anyway. So, um, that's huge. So that's a, the professional standpoint. What about the personal standpoint? Like the personal, you, you and your life personally, is there any like big lessons learned that, you know, now that you're old as dirt, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting up there. Yeah. Well, don't get older. No, I, I feel better now than I have in a lot minus my, uh, you know, prior injury here. The, uh, the personal side of it is just, you just never stop learning, never stop growing. So I, I'm a consummate, uh, biohack person. I'm constantly looking at ways to be better. I'm not a health nut by any means, but I figured that the things that I do that are not very good for me will be offset if I do stuff that's really good for me. So <laughs> I, I, I really, I'm, and a lot of it's like, you know, therapeutic based as far as, you know, the different types of therapy for fitness or rapid healing or things like that. So I'm the, so I never stop learning that. And, you know, personally, I'd have to say it's just time and relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what I learned, you know, is probably the, the most important lesson. You know, I saw a quote the other day and it said the 20 years from now, the only people who will remember how much you worked will be your kids. Wow. Wow. And I was like, dang. Yeah. You know, that was, that was really stuck. And it's, yeah. you know, and you got to take that with, for what it is. It doesn't mean don't work hard. Right. It doesn't mean don't put out, but what it means is like, don't do it for arbitrary reasons. Value your time, be effective, be efficient in what you do. If you read the book, uh, Tim Ferriss had a book, Tools of Titans, where he interviews like 150 people and asks them all the same questions. And they're all high performers from CFOs to COOs to world athletes they all have very similarities in what they do. So if you read even a couple dozen of these, you know, little three page, three page blips from me, huh? they're all very similar and they don't do it all because they just talk. They do it because it's effective. Right. And so you can put out the time, but value your time too and make your time count. So for like when I come home, I rarely ever touch my phone. So mo most of the time I lose my phone. So I'll put it somewhere. I'll come home and I'll set my phone down. So not and surprised. I and I don't know where it is because I don't want my kids to ever look at me or my family look at me and be like, you're always on the phone. Mm. So I try not to ever be on it. And when we say it's, it's about balance, that's misunderstood. So balance means that you do, you give a hundred percent to five different buckets and that's impossible. Right. Balance is about you really on a day to day activity you know, when we function day to day between relationships and work and, and kids and priorities, we're, we got about like 60, 70% in each bucket. That's, that's level balance. But then we need a, Hey, I need to step it up to work. I need to finish this project really good. So guess what? Everything else goes down to 40%, which means you got to rely on the relationships around you. Like, Hey, I got to really focus on this. So I'm going to be a little bit depleted in this area. Right. And they say, okay, I'm there. And then you get that back on track and then you're stabilizing and you're like, Hey, I need this, you know, I need to spend some time doing this. So then, you know, work goes down to like, you know, 60, 70% as far as your balance and something else goes up to 80%. So you're constantly just running around filling water in the buckets. Right. But when we say balance, we don't really explain to people. I don't think nobody ever explained it to me that balance doesn't mean a hundred percent in five buckets. Balance means 80% in one bucket, 40% another, 60% another, 30% another. And you got to constantly focus, change the water level in these buckets as you focus on different things. And that's what the balance is yep. and making sure you're not, you know, staying too long in one area and ignoring the others. Cause then those buckets run dry. And the last thing, so I always, I'm a big dumb animal. So I like to focus it on like, you've got like, 
you've got a bunch of rubber balls. You've got like your, your career, you've got your, you know, your fitness, you've got your diet, you've got your education, you've got your friendships and all those are these balls you're, you're juggling all the time. These, these rubber balls and you're going to stumble and you're going to fail. And you may do something wrong. You may flake on a friend. You may not get in touch for a long time, but that ball bounces back. You can get right back, but there's a glass ball and that's your family. Mm -hmm. And if you ignore them too long, that ball breaks, you're never going to get that back. So you really got to focus on where you're at. So you got, you got a few balls, but one of those are glass and you got to decide which one's your glass ball and protect that one. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's, that's good. Is that yours or is that somebody else's? The rubber glass thing. I think it's mine. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to copyright that as as stones. Rubber ball, glass ball. I picture lacrosse balls and like one of those little snow globes. (laughs) That's what I picture it as. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, So we're getting close to the end. So it's, it's coming to the wrap up. So we've talked about um, your background, you know, working before the military, getting in the military, doing an amazing career thus far. You know, you can always takes one mistake. So you're still doing great. Yeah, just takes one. <laughs> keep, keep going. Uh, <laughs> positive moves here. So doing fantastic. And then during that career, right. Owning the CrossFit gym, having the rental properties, uh, some great life lessons thus far, uh, thus far professionally and personally could change, you know? Um, but now we come to the final question, which is the special question. Okay. And so I, I'm going to change it up for this, uh, episode or session. And so, and I, I can't, I don't, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but drum roll. that's right. That's right. <laughs> if you were to have an extra moment in your life, would you want to have that moment in the past or the future? The past. The past. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's one of the more interesting questions I've ever asked people. And so can you, do you feel comfortable talking about that story? Yeah. So my mother passed away uh, recently, and she's by far my best friend. And we talked all the time, like five days a week. And we would talk for hours. Mm -hmm. She was so fun to talk to. I'd go home at night, and sometimes I would be coming the door talking to her, and I'd sit in the room, and we'd talk, we'd laugh. And she was just by far my best friend. And even with all that, and this has been been going on my whole life, but steadily since... uh, when I was overseas, you know, I'd write her all the time. We were just buddies. Mm. You know, we were always, she was just super cool. She was super laid back, hippie woman, you know, so complete all the always You say, I don't understand why you joined the military. You were like, <laughs> you know, you were so free as a kid, you know, like, you like, they were really like, we made our own granola. Like, no kidding. We're hippies. And, uh, anyway, so it was, it was a fun time, but even after that, we're tight and spoke all the time. And when she died, I wish I could talk to her one more time. Mm. So when people say like, oh, I wish I just we could talk one more time, I look back and her and I spoke all the time, sometimes mm. multiple times a day, and I still wish I had one more conversation. Yeah. So that would be the moment. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you ask those people, you know, th- those questions. And and that is what I have found is usually it has to do with, with a loved one or, and something occurred and they just wanted that one moment. But I've actually, I, I've actually had folks have talked about the future. Like I'd really like to know where I want to, or where I'll be at this time to see if I can go ahead and change my path now, or if I need to change my path now, which I thought was like really fascinating because it's like from the mentality of, of like, did, and, and I asked them like, Hey, have you had something in the past happen? Like your experience and like, yes, they have, but it, whether it wasn't the bond or they feel that they fulfilled that relationship at, at their time period. So it's, that's one of the more fascinating questions I like to ask people is like, Hey, if you had, if you had this, this, this moment, this extra time, would you do in the past or, or, or the future? And so it's always interesting to see that journey on how people come to that conclusion. Yeah. That's a really, uh, self-enlightening thing that the person mentioned where they can see something and see how they could do it better. Cause immediately when you said future, I'm like, uh, stock picks. Like what's, that's what I should probably, <laughs> that's what I should have probably asked. Like <laughs> what do the stocks look like in 10 years from now? Like if I can only go back 20 years and look at like Apple and Google and like when there were pennies on the dollar or something, you know, that would have been, uh, that would have been fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. That's there's a, a question I ask people a lot of times. If I, if I only have time to ask one question, I say, if you can give yourself I actually stole this from Tim Ferriss, but if you can, 10 years ago, if you can give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah. Or tell yourself something. And that's, you know, that kind of stuff is really important because like, if you know, you and I, although been great friends for a really long time, have vastly different experiences. And if I'm not trying to gain my self-knowledge off your experiences, then 
this is a, a wasted resource for me. Like I could talk to you and learn told this ton of stuff. And it's like, if we don't have those conversations, it's just, I'm just wasting this opportunity that I can learn so much. Granted, most of the stuff when you get into with like some of your calm stuff, you kind of lose me, but I am enamored <laughs> with how well you, you know it. And it probably frustrates you when I call you because my email's jacked up and you're like, this is so beneath me. <laughs> but I always appreciate it. I always love our conversations. Yeah. I remember you're like, bro, I, I can't stand the network. It's so slow. I'm going to buy a new laptop. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, don't do that. It's going to do nothing for you. You may be able to, pro it'll, the processor might be faster, but it's not going to do anything for you. Don't waste your money on that. I remember that conversation. I do remember it too. Yeah. Cause I was about to buy one. I was like, I'll just turn it in and they can have it. At the end you're like, nope, nope. nope it's don't. same size straw. <laughs> don't, don't do it, man. Well, listen, so we're wrapping up. Um, again, really appreciate you taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to come do this. I know you have a lot going on in your life professionally and personally, and it, it means a lot to me and people have that experience. And I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, some folks have the opportunity to listen to this and learn, you know, whether that's the military career path or what, what the other potentials are, you know, while being in the military and owning businesses and having that opportunity too. And then of course, you know, just living overseas and taking advantage of that and seeing, yeah. seeking out those opportunities that make you feel uncomfortable, those, those unknowns. And so I think that's, that's huge. And and while you might not say it, I'm, I know for a fact it happens is that you are able to turn around and provide that, that level of knowledge and expertise down, if you will, down or parallel or whatever to other folks. And I think that's huge. And I know that you're big into growing people and I know you didn't say it, but we know for a fact that that's happening. So I know all those folks from, the, from their standpoint, well, I'll, I'll say thank you from their standpoint <laughs> as well. So um, couldn't, couldn't, uh, the air force couldn't have had a better chief. I, I'm a little surprised it took so long to get there, but that's understandable. They can't read the, the army bullets. That's what happened. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. We won't talk about that. Anyways, is, is there anything you want to wrap up with any, any final thoughts? No, I really appreciate it. It's good talking. It's, uh, it's kind of funny all the time we've been trying to get together. This is, this is what we finally had to do to get together, but we're going to change that. That's right. And we're going to spend more time together because you guys mean a lot to me and I, I look forward to seeing you guys more often. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for this. This was really fun. Good, man. Well, thanks for coming on People at Value Experience, Stone. And until next time. Yes, All right. indeed. <laughs>